Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to another episode of We're All a Little Crazy. I'm your host, Eric Cusin, along with sports business reporter Darren Avell and our buddy Theo Fleury, NHL Great, is not with us today. He's actually mid-travel. But we've been following closely the events of Ja Morant, uh, the phenom out of Murray State, uh, who has now put the Memphis Grizzlies on the map. And I got to tell you, this has not been an NBA season I've been following closely. So I I kind of, out of the back of my eye, have been seeing what's going on off the court with Ja. And Darren put up a tweet. This was the 13th of March. Uh, So we're still talking very much about current events. I'm going to read for you all the tweet related to what was going on with, with Ja. The tweet was, when a person goes to counseling after a series of bad mistakes... Society defaults to this being used as an excuse. It's time for the new default to be, quote, this guy needs help. He has something greater going on. The actions are often the result of unaddressed ongoing trauma. And I was proud of Darren for putting that up there, because usually when Darren puts out a tweet, he'll check with me pertaining to mental health beforehand. And he put that out on his own. And I think a lot of that has to do with what we've been doing together as an organization and how he's been learning about the underlying reasons behind why people behave the way that they behave. And so when I bring up behave, why am I bringing up behave? If you've been following the timeline with Ja, so guy comes out of Murray State. He's six foot two, 100 nothing. 174 pounds. So, you know, kind of in the in the style of a Allen Iverson type of player, but just this brash in your face guy, despite his size and not surprisingly he's that way because he wasn't a highly sought after player in college. The fact that he went to Murray state, which is a smaller mid-major school was because he wasn't getting a lot of offers sophomore year. He ends up averaging over 20 points and over 20 assists, which Darren, I didn't even realize is the first time that any player in NCAA history has ever done that. Uh, I guess the games are only 40 minutes, so it makes sense that getting 10 assists a game is really difficult. But goes 2019, gets drafted by the Grizzlies, number two overall. If you remember, that was the Zion Williamson draft. So Zion gets taken number one by the Pelicans, and Ja gets drafted number two. And immediately, he puts the uh, Grizzlies on the map. Right. They, they they finish the better record than they finished that in a long time. And and since then, they've continued to jump up the rankings. His play on the court has continued to get better. His stats have improved. He's rookie of the year. But then from there, he's become an all star. And so this 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 guy who's become almost the, the face, the future face of the league because of the way he plays and, you know, there's there's certainly a chip on his shoulder that he plays with, but you don't think much about upbringing. You don't think much about any behavioral issues. And then this starts to happen. So this season, his dad, T. Morant, who always sits courtside, first gets an altercation with Shannon Sharp. And it makes SportsCenter, it makes all the different sports channels and um, you know, you're wondering like his dad who comes, it's great that his father's in the picture. It's great that his dad, and there's all these clips of his dad working with him as a young kid and jumping into tires and <laughs> teaching him how to be more athletic and get over obstacles. So his dad's a close figure in his life. You're like, okay, why is his dad getting into an altercation with a former football player courtside? It's not becoming of a guy who's, who's, who's there and who's, the family member of someone who's a big-time player in the game. Okay, maybe it was a one-time incident. Then a number of games later, his dad and his best friend, a guy named Devontae Pack, so T and Devontae Pack, mix it up with Indiana Pacers players from a courtside position. 
And what is alleged after, though, the NBA, Mike Bass, a guy that I worked with back in the day at the NBA league office, he's their NBA spokesperson, said there wasn't enough to really follow up on it, convince and, and convict anyone. But apparently T and and Devante, along with Ja in the car on the way out, there was a laser pointer pointed into the Indiana Pacers bus. And the Pacers believe the laser pointer was connected to a gun. Fortunately, there were no shots, but as a way almost of like a standoff and a, and a stand down of, hey, you better not mess with us. Okay. So shortly after those two courtside incidents with Ja's father, I should say, although Ja was involved in them, there's a Washington Post article and report that comes out that this was now the previous summer in July, but it's coming out now in this season that Ja had assaulted a teenager, a 17-year-old, in a pickup game and that the, the teenager had thrown a ball at Ja's face and Ja ended up punching him in the face. And then according to the teenager, Ja came back to the court and flashed a gun at him almost to say, don't mess with me. And there's been investigations that have gone on since and nothing has come up in terms of there being enough evidence to convict him of anything. And he said he was acting in self-defense. Okay, continuing on in this season, you had Stephen Adams, who's one of the senior leaders on this Grizzlies team, who's now in second place uh, in the Western Conference. So has a chance to make a real impact in the playoffs. Uh, they're right behind the Denver Nuggets. So he tells his teammates that they need to show better discipline on the road. This is in a players-only meeting. And the reports come out that it was almost like an indirect message towards Ja, right? Like Ja's the leader on the team in terms of points and production, but Adams is more the senior leader in terms of in the locker room. And that night, and then two nights in a row, Ja goes to a strip club in Glendale, Colorado, and you know, the way that social media works, you can go on your live at any point. Now, this is a man who's making millions of dollars in the face of a franchise, and he flashes a gun on Instagram live. So, you know, the question has to has to be asked, you know, this fearlessness that he played with, or plays with, I should say, and this belief in himself and almost this, this brashness that comes off as a, as a self-confidence has it become carelessness and has it become this feeling of invincibility? And, you know, we don't know that for sure, but when it was announced that he was going to uh, therapy, going to counseling, that's when Darren put his tweet out. And to give you a timeline, he puts that tweet out and then Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, two days after Darren's tweet, says he's inviting Ja into the league office to have conversations about what happened. And so it's known now at this point that he's come out of counseling, okay, <laughs> telling the story in a specific order for a reason. Darren reaches out to me and says, oh, man, like, was he only in therapy for two days? Like, this does not look good that we backed him, that there's stuff going on, and then he's only in there for two days. Now, the real story is he had been in therapy previously when this event happened. It was just the announcement of when therapy was taking place that Adam Silver called him out two days later. So in total, he was in therapy for just under two weeks. Okay, so 12 days. And so Morant goes to Adam Silver. Adam Silver decides after their conversation that he's going to be suspended for eight games. Well, Ja had already sat out six of the eight games by the time he goes to uh, therapy and comes out and meets with with uh, with Silver. So there's only two more games left. So the whole sports world, at least the NBA fandom world, jumps out of their seat. This was BS. This guy just went for two days. He didn't care about going to therapy. This was just a PR move. He wasn't really going to get help. Now, I listened closely because coming right out of that meeting with Adam Silver, and I called Darren afterwards to tell him this, you got John ja Moran talking about the skills that he picked up in therapy, which we never hear from a public figure. We hear from a public figure, you know, and it's too bad we don't have Theo on this call with us, but, you know, Theo's been through it. Well, I went to the league substance abuse program, and that's it. 
or I went to counseling and that's it. And Ja is talking about Reiki. He's talking about integrative breathing practices that he learned. He's talking about emotion regulation. And he's talking about how he doesn't understand how to properly manage his stress, but that he's picked up tools and this is going to be an ongoing process for him. And I said to Darren, I said, you know, this is actually a really good thing because it gives us a talking point. But I, I think what he learned in that therapy is going to serve him moving forward. Maybe he wasn't there that long for what the average person thinks of what therapy is. And I'm going to get into what my inpatient experience was like when we introduce our guests here. But I think this opens up a lot of topic of conversation of what is therapy? What do you learn when you go to inpatient? What is considered a true inpatient program? So before introducing our guests, I'm going to I'm gonna ask Darren just to chime in. Did I get the events of that timeline correct? And yeah, you got it. You, you, yeah. yeah, I mean, you definitely got it right. Um, you know, what's interesting as a media member is just to understand how the media cherry picks and then the public then when they're reading it will then, you know, then, oh, the media says this. So it's very hard to know what a true timeline is and that becomes an issue to the conversation, right? So even me, who is trying to follow it as much as possible, think that he's in therapy for two days. And my initial thought is, why is Adam Silver engaging him and right. saying, you can meet with me in New York? It's Adam Silver's job for this guy to get okay. Otherwise, there's going to be more of these incidences. And at the end of the day, you know, that's going to be worse for the NBA and worse for Ja. So, like, my first reaction was, like, what is Adam Silver doing? Yes. Like, why would he send the message that would obviously get Ja to leave the facility? Yes. And so that was my first first thing. And then also it was the eight games, right? Like, as you said, already served six. And it's like, oh, they're doing everything just to just to put a Band-Aid over this. And that's been the problem with some of these leagues that it's just like the physical where someone gets hurt and you're going to put the Band-Aid on and send them back out. Yeah. And it's it's the same thing here. And so the not understanding the timeline from my perspective meant that the whole public didn't understand the timeline. As, as you said, as you said, it's similar to physical health. My mind went to an episode that we did not long ago, the Tua Tonga Bailoa <laughs> incident, where it looked like it was just, okay, buddy, like your head hasn't fallen off. Let's get you back on the field. And why is that the perception? Because in fairness to how fans perceive things, we look at it, we go, that's their moneymaker. They need him back on the field, so they're going to put him back on. Now, what the NBA should have done in this case, especially because Ja was the one who was open about going to get counseling, and I'm 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 talking to Mike Bass, I'm talking to the PR department here at the NBA, to your point, okay, if the NBA is in the business of getting Ja back on the court right away, fine, get it. And you want to retroactively say that six of his games of the eight are already served, fine. Now, Jay Williams former, you know, uh, number one overall pick who got into that motorcycle accident out of Duke and then has been a college basketball and NBA basketball analyst since, his take on it was the guy should have been suspended and kept in counseling and told that it was deemed that he was ready to return. I don't know that the NBA is in the place to be doing that and or willing to do that right now at this point. But what I think the NBA PR should have done is they should have put out a press release saying Ja has been in counseling for I, I agree. Days. I agree because yeah. not mentioning that is 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 not necessarily caring. Yes. Also, in Adam Silver's comments, he speaks directly to only the actions that took place. Yes, and this has to be the default. It cannot be his actions were reckless, reprehensible, oh. blah blah blah. It is it is Adam Silver's job to now say uh, Ja has underlying issues. He's told us that not because if Ja doesn't say, so so Ja does the interview with Jalen Rose right. immediately. And I was surprised he did that right exactly. away. Yep. And that's when that's when he did say some enlightening things, as you said. I'm um, in the best place I've been in years, that kind of thing. Really said some things from a mental standpoint that he was that most people wouldn't openly say so fresh out of therapy. Um, but but we got to get to a point where a guy like Adam Silver says there are underlying issues here. 
um, that 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 we need to that he needed to address that he's assured us he's addressed. And at the same time, this is an evolving thing. This is yep. not an end. This is not an end. Everything's about all this stuff is about, oh, he he had some actions. They ended and now we're moving on. No, that that's 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 not how life works. You, you you're know? reminding me now of how Gary Bettman handled the Kyle Beats situation. Yes, was, it happened in Chicago. Uh, uh, sexual abuse happened. It was in 2010. It's over and it's dealt with now. And that's not the reality. And to your point, as you're saying that, Adam or uh, Darren, and as I introduce our guest today, you know we do a lot of trainings with same here in schools, and we teach the teachers not to judge the behaviors, to think about what underlies the behaviors. And to your point, the PR snippet that the commissioner, and I'm saying commissioner Adam in this case, but it could be any commissioner, like I was sharing with Gary Bittman, is they need to almost prove that there's a slap on the wrist to, to you know, punish the behavior. <laughs> and that's that's what's going to make things go away, as opposed to talking about like, this is one of the faces of our league and we're working with him or her, depending on what the league is, in order to help make things better, right? And I, look, I get it that there's a balance between people need to be responsible for their actions. But these leagues have a responsibility. And where I'm laughing is the NBA has touted itself for five freaking years now that they're ahead of the curve when it comes to mental health because Kevin Love was the first name that came out in sports in a big way and talked about his mental health. Well, if you're the head of the curve, then sorry, you as a commissioner and as a league office have a responsibility to continue to educate. And you didn't do it in this case. And so that's the reason why we have these episodes. And, you know, I want to introduce someone who, interestingly, this is his first episode with us. We'll have him back a lot. We've had Dr. John Rosa on many times, but I guess I consider him our, our chief medical officer with Seen Here Global. He is the founder of Regional Psychiatry, uh, which is a mental health uh, group down in Florida and is now spreading nationally. They are going to be our partner group from a care perspective with Same Here. Um, and he's got the reason I invited Dr. Andrew Pleener to the show today is because of his background. He trained in the traditional medical model. He trained as a traditional psychiatrist, and then he transitioned into what we call an integrative psychiatrist. That's how I heal through integrative work. And that's how Dr. Pleener, Andrew, I'll refer to him now moving forward, got to know each other and and, and got to meet and, and became friends and then started collaborating together, is looking at this care model in a different way. And the reason I thought Dr. Pleener would be a great guest for this show is because of what the fan reaction was to seeing that whether it was two days or 12 days or two weeks fans reacting to well that's not really therapy that was a check the box just to say that he went to therapy not all therapy was created equal and andrew trained as a resident he trained and he saw the inner workings i'm going to give some of my experiences as i mentioned being inpatient you could get a ton of stuff done and learn a ton and become a much better person, not necessarily in those two to 12 days, but in the tools that you pick up and how it helps you based on the differences of where you go. So welcome, Dr. Pleener, to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, thanks a lot, Eric and, and Darren, for having me on. You know, we we all go through challenging life events, uh, breakups, divorces, job losses, sickness of loved ones everything that we just experienced with coronavirus, the list goes on and on. And these life events, they physically impact the architecture of our nervous system. They disrupt our psychological processes. We're likely to experience things like ruminating thoughts, cognitive distortions, lack of psychological flexibility. And as our nervous system starts to shift towards a more mobilized state, we develop things like hormonal imbalances, inflammatory effects, changes in the vagal nerves, disruptive digestive rhythms, circadian rhythms that impact our behaviors. When we're in a situation and we get a response from somebody that we're interacting with, when we feel that dysregulation, knots in the stomach, adrenaline through the veins, shaky palms, 
our reaction and behaviors are going to be drastically different if the same situation did not elicit those responses in the first place. And individuals are not always in control of the sensations that their body has. And if we really want to get to the source and repair the architecture of a nervous system, instead of focusing on behaviors, focus on correcting the underlying connections, it needs a comprehensive approach, something we sometimes refer to as a gym for the brain approach. And as somebody that's had experience in various outpatient, inpatient uh, type of facilities, um, starting even on the inpatient level where people are in hospital settings for days to weeks to months to years, the treatment is often singular, you know, centered around prescription medication, traditional talk therapy. Most of the time is actually spent dampening symptoms individual is waiting, laying in a bed, waiting for the medications to kick in. There might be an occasional group therapy, um, occasional talk therapy sessions. And that could be helpful in the moment and get somebody out of a crisis situation, but it's not working on healing those underlying neuro, neurobiological connections. Outpatient levels, whether it's PHPs, IOPs, often are also centered around group therapy, Freudian talk therapy techniques, but we're not really learning about the mechanisms of what's happening internally and what are the different exercises to optimize it. Now you can Dr. go- Dr. Pleaner, can I ask you a question? On, yeah. on some of these things, on what, to get to the point of understanding, to, to internalize it, uh, to get beyond the quick fix of medication, they always talk about 10,000 hours, right? Like I tell people, I always tell people I've been in thousands of hours of therapy. That's how I'm good. And I'm not good because I've solved it. It's good because I'm good because I've solved how to deal with it. Not because I've solved it because um, there never is an end. But we just talked about the timeline of jaw, right? And two and a half weeks. What is the expected and everyone's different? time it takes to and it uh, depends deep you are and but what's the minimum time it takes to go through you know real therapy and be able to then have the tools to deal with what you know you have that's no, a it's a great question darren you know there i realize it's an impossible question too so in fairness well you know you can get a lot of value out of going to therapy in a short period of time, and then you can go to therapy for a very long period of time. But if a comparison I could utilize was that if you live a sedentary lifestyle and many different muscles in the body started to atrophy and plaque was building up in your arteries, if you just simply worked on triceps every single day for the rest of your life, you'll get some value out of that. And you could spend a lot of hours going to the gym over and over and over again but it doesn't mean that you're actually learning the science about what causes muscles to atrophy and how to build. And then what are the other different modalities that you could utilize to optimize health? When it comes to mental health, there's different ways of practicing. There's an integrative model that is growing and expanding. There's integrative divisions within the APA, within the American Association of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry. And it's really centered around the brain-body connection, not focusing on educating about behaviors, devices, but actually what's happening internally that leads to us gravitating towards those things. And within a couple of days to weeks, you can start to learn about how the nervous system starts to shift, how the vagus nerve can start to change when we're always anticipating the world to be less safe, what's happening with meridian points, what's happening with frequencies in the nervous system, the list really goes on and on. And we could start to focus on individual techniques and modalities that could be used, whether it's with or without medication, whether it's with supportive talk therapy or without, and start to build upon it. So there's no number where you hit 100 hours, you hit 10,000 hours, and now you understand it. If you're learning the same principles over and over again, but you're not actually learning other things on top of it, 
you might not be progressing. But you I'm going to I'm going to chime in as someone who's had inpatient experience and I'm going to compare it to the John Moran situation. I'm going to compare it to what Theo talks about all the time in terms of the league substance abuse program that he went into with the NHL. So when I was inpatient at uh, I'm not going to say the name of the treatment facility center for fear that they're going to come after me, but let's just say it was a Ivy League top. That's that that, that that's appropriate. That's real appropriate. It, it was it was a top treatment facility center in the Northeast. Build themselves as such. The doctors themselves were Ivy League trained doctors with top doctor plaques all over their walls. And for five and a half weeks, other than the shock therapy that they told me was my last resort, I literally sat in a room all day by myself or went into a common area and was told to color in a coloring book with other people. Okay. We did group therapy once a week. This thing. It's funny because my other, it's funny because my other, I I have a friend who uh, was in therapy on like an emergency situation and, uh, and I, and he comes out and I say, what was it like? And he talks about, they forced me to paint. So it's just funny that that, that that's what comes out of because they they don't have they don't teach in many of these facilities and this is why people reacted this is why fans reacted the way they did to how short of a stay Ja had is because most of what we see in the movies on tv and then most of what we hear about from our friends like me who went inpatient is that you sit around that there's not modalities taught and when you get the therapy it's a person sitting on the other end of the couch, and we've all seen the, the 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 cartoon of it, and the other person is fixing you by untangling this ball of yarn that you have that's tangled up in your head, and they're untangling it into these nice, even threads. And that is not how therapy works. That's how therapy is performed in many of these facilities, unfortunately. And so people here, Ja went for whether what they thought two days was the beginning, was really two weeks, fine. And they think to, they hear the term counseling or they hear the term therapy and they go right to the images that they've been taught and seen. And what Dr. Pleaner's saying is not all therapy is created equal when he's talking about the gym for the brain. What he's saying is, well, okay, you can go into a gym if your physical health is off and you can go and you can do triceps all day. You're not learning about your body. You're not learning about how the body changes. You're not getting an education from a personal trainer that then after two weeks of that personal trainer taking you through different modalities and explaining, this is how you break down fast switch muscle fibers. And this is how you get your heart rate up and your heart rate variability in the right place. Well, that is knowledge that you gain to then be able to continue to work out at the gym and make a tremendous impact on your life. And when you listen to what Josh shared about the modalities that he picked up, I'll answer for Dr. Pleaner almost in a way of, you know, a non-clinical way, how much time is the right amount of time. I would rather spend two days intensive learning modalities that are going to help me heal and that are going to give me a knowledge base for how I live the rest of my life moving forward so that I have tools, then go to the five weeks that I went inpatient for where I sat around, stared at the ceiling, looked out the window and thought to myself in a very scary way, I'm in one flew over the cuckoo's nest right now. And that's what you feel like when you're caught in one of those facilities. And so we've got to change this perception. And this is why, Darren, your point about what Adam Silver should have said was really poignant one and important. The league, the team, although we know the team uh, mental health clinician in this particular case, she's worked with us plenty before. And so I'm, I'm, I'd almost be confident she was the one who recommended this great care facility. She just hasn't spoken in the media but the league should be in the know of what the difference between traditional therapy is and this type of therapy where he picked that so that he can then, and I'm going to read to you what he said, what, what Josh said when he came back, not with the Jalen Rose uh, interview, but when he came back most recently before playing, he said, I've been there for two weeks, but that doesn't mean I'm completely better. This is a process. It's an ongoing process for me. And I've still been continuing on with what I learned since I've come out. 
That shows a tremendous amount of maturity. And when Dr. Pleiner talks about behaviors and he talks about the way in which, you know, we experience things as kids and it builds off Darren, your um, tweet about that there's underlying things. We don't know what happened in Jaws childhood. Okay. The way that we did for the Calvin Ridley uh, episode that we did last week, we, we learned all about with Calvin Ridley uh, what happened with being dropped off at the foster home with his brothers and not being told it was happening and his dad gets deported and his mom gets well, sounds like sent to jail and so he's without his parents we don't know that with Ja we see all these videos of both parents being involved um, his dad helping him to do all these athletic obstacle courses when he's a little kid but here's what we see we see and the, the reason why I brought up the timeline earlier, we see his dad, T. Morant, courtside, passionate, probably one of the reasons why Ja is as brash and as bold as a guy who's 170 nothing um, on the court uh, amongst these, these, these giants that he has to jump in the paint and jump over. But, but T is a bold dude himself, <laughs> and that's behavioral. And when it's behavioral, oftentimes it's learned behavior. And learned behavior is part of mental health. And so a lot of the things that we love about Ja, that he's fearless and that he's willing to go in the paint and he's willing to go up against these giants and he doesn't back down to anyone, sometimes that gets you in trouble too. And, you know, when Ja described why he did what he did, you listen to little things that you pick up on what he says. He says, I need to learn better ways to handle my stress. And the average person is going to listen to that and go, bullshit, like this is this is just a, a, a intellect issue. Like who brandishes a gun on Instagram Live? That's really dumb. Well, when you've grown up and you've watched those actions take place on movies, that's been the cool thing to do amongst your group of friends. That shows that you have power. Guess what? When you're in a stressful situation because you just lost in Denver, and because a team meeting just happened where you feel like you were called out. These are the behaviors that we see. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that we should applaud it. But now you're gaining this understanding of a public figure. You're watching this play out in front of your eyes where you're saying, shit, okay, this guy's realizing that the way that he handled things before when things get difficult that's not the right way to handle yourself when you're a pro, when you're someone who is a role model, going back to the what, what Charles Barkley you know, denied. Like These guys are making millions of dollars on TV. They are role models by, by default. Kids watch them. That's why Adam Silver jumped in, because showing a gun on Instagram Live cannot happen when you are a face of the league. But he's picking that up, and he's learning that, right? And he's learning that. And you might say, how does he not know that already as a face of a league four years in? Well, because your upbringing is piece of that, right? And all these things fit together. And so when Dr. Pleaner, it, it piggybacks off of what Dr. Rosa said on the call last week, our impulses, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put it in a term that folks who work in an office setting can understand. Why do some people in a meeting setting know how to hold back and wait till it's their turn to raise their hand and to uh, contribute in a group setting when you're having a meeting and you see other people at the table and it's like a bowl in a china shop and they're they're speaking out of turn all the time and they're making ridiculous comments and they're trying to you know uh make the room more well part of that is their anxiety part of that is what they are used to and what their comfort level is with their behavior of you know, making everyone else laugh and feeling like they need to be the center of attention. And then you start to learn over time as you work in a corporate setting that that's not <laughs> the right way to handle yourself because there is a decorum. There's a certain way that we're supposed to be um, conducting our behavior. Jaws learning that. But in learning that, you need also tools and emotion regulation tools. And you need to be able to step in and say, okay, I'm not feeling right right now. I'm and and another thing that Josh said was, I, I I was taught I'm allowed to feel my emotions and in feeling my emotions, this is then the tools that I have to be able to go into it. So, you know, Dr. Planer, hopefully that was helpful in terms of piggybacking off of what you were sharing. 
you know, I, I'm sure that you've seen um, in your time, maybe you have stories, but but not to put you on the spot if you don't, like you've been in inpatient settings where it's just, okay, check off who's the next patient. Let's see them for a little bit. And then we don't see them for hours and days at a time in between. Am I right? Uh, you're you're definitely right. You know, it's, a, it's an unfortunate way of practicing. I'll, I'll dive into some of the personal experiences, but just to um, piggyback off what you were just saying, you know, you brought up a couple of concepts with, with regards to the therapy. One is learning about past experiences, understanding where thoughts are coming from, being able to take a step back, figure out the core values and the actions you want to take and take those steps despite the thoughts that are maybe uh, coming up based off of past experiences. That's a cognitive processing uh, type of treatment. Then there's the therapies that actually work on the mind-body skills, the sensations that somebody actually feels when they're having stressful thinking patterns and all these cognitive distortions. And both should be done together. One of the interesting things of some of the therapies that Ja was undergoing is that these are all bottom-up type of modalities, working on energy flow, safety signals from you know, breath work all the way to the brain, vagal nerve stimulators. It, it's similar to if you, you were scratching your arm all the time and developing a wound and you had this itch, but nobody knows that you're itching and everybody's telling you, you know, stop scratching. It's not good for you. And you could start to think about all these different techniques and force yourself to not do it. Well, it's also a lot easier if the itch was taken away. That's what these mind-body skills are actually working on. When it's, when you think about how the inpatient programs are set up, it's not centered around those mind-body skills at all. It's really about figuring out what their diagnosis is, what are the symptoms. In the case of the uh, scratching, it would be equivalent to you have somebody scratching, those are the symptoms. What can you do to get that to stop? You're not really focused on taking away the itch through mind-body skills. You're more focused on using medication management and seeing if that works. The therapy needs to be worked on over time if you're gonna be talking about processing days. But those are things that should be done in complement of all these bottom-up techniques. Typically, from my personal experience in the hospital setting, somebody ends up getting admitted. Doctor might rotate once a day, spend a couple of minutes asking them how they're actually feeling today, going over their med history and using medications to dampen the symptom. From that point on, it's really them finding time to themselves to allow themselves to calm down and relax. And then they might have a group session a couple of times a week, or they might have, as, as both of you have alluded to, art therapy. Even within art therapy, they're not really learning the science of the value of art therapy. Uh, we've got language centers in the brain that become uh, shunted with blood flow when we're under a lot of stress, where it even becomes harder to articulate and you could actually bypass a lot of these things through art, um, but, but none of these are actually being explained to the person. It's more sitting around waiting for the medications to kick in. They might be engaging in something, being told that it's good for them, but not really being broken down why it's actually helpful. Yeah, I mean, my, my experience, I remember they were, they were almost like patting themselves on the back that there was one person who taught DBT and we did it as a group because there's only one person. And so that you understand how the resources are allocated at a hospital. When you go inpatient, there's a lot of people dealing with a lot of different things and they look different in front of you. There's some people who are talking to themselves. There's some people who are walking in circles. It's not a fun place to be um, when, you know, and, and we don't know what the facility was. It was called counseling that, that Zhao went. It sounds like he got great advice and went to a place where um he got much better tools well, he, he went to i mean he went to florida not memphis i mean to me that says something it's not right. like hey you just walk down the you know well when you have the resources and the means and you got someone who's guiding you right and and you know we're going to get the typical response to this of sure if i had those type of resources i'd love to go to a place like that as well we're not saying that we're not saying that he's not privileged in where he gets to go what we're saying is 
let's not judge the amount of time that he went and say definitively he that wasn't real therapy and he just did this for PR purposes back to Darren's first tweet just because it was a two-week period you can have a tremendous amount of learning so back to what I experienced when I was in the hospital and the allocation of resources if someone comes in representing as acutely suicidal now this might be specific to New York I'm, I'm sure it's different in different states they would assign this thing called one-to-one where they would have a nurse stare at this person wherever they're at in the hospital, which was typically them sitting in their bed to make sure they didn't hurt themselves. And by the way, I'm not damning that as a practice. Like when someone is suicidal, that is scary. And a hospital is a safer place for them to be than for them to be on their own. And it's great that maybe insurance covers that one-to-one care. But my point with that one-to-one care is I never saw that one-to-one nurse teaching skills while they were watching that person. It was literally, if you want to get an image of what it looked like, person was sitting in the bed and the nurse was sitting in a chair two inches off of the front of the, the door. The door had to be open, just staring at the person. I mean, again, it keeps the person safe from hurting themselves. I don't know if I was in an acutely suicidal situation, if just being stared at, as opposed to being given skills would make me better. It probably would make my sympathetic response that much higher and go, I'm freaking out because I'm being looked at like I'm an animal right now by this person from the outside. The problem with all, but the problem with all these places are they're the quick fix and the yeah. quick fix doesn't do anything. So then you have to ask yourself if you're Adam Silver, yes, you have the responsibility to say you are, you are, uh, you're, you're nailed for eight games, Right. But do you also have the responsibility to say, listen, uh, we want you to, behind the scenes, we want you to get solved. You're important for us. Uh, do you think, uh, let, let, let's see if you could take a month. I mean, does the NBA review the facility? Does the NBA have great facilities to send players to? Have they, have they done as much as they can uh, as as they have done the 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 fine schedule and the this person does this that they spend so much time on on what the remedy should be from a penalty standpoint do they spend an equal amount of time on what the remedy should be from a get this guy back in his life for real standpoint and the answer of course is no much in the same way the doctors who are on the sidelines are patching players up and are not looking after their long-term health. I understand that looking after long-term health is difficult because these players are not that useful after they don't play anymore. But this is a real issue in Jaws' career, right? You can argue that if he doesn't get right, it is a horrible thing for the NBA, just from a selfish standpoint. And they have to figure out how to get him right. Because then we'll have 20 games. Well, look, we'll I mean, 40 look, games suspended. Look, look, look at what happened with Andrew Luck in the NFL, right? And, and you could argue that Andrew Luck's a big piece of it was his physical injuries and he didn't want to keep getting beaten up. There's no question with what's come out with, with Andrew Luck since that part of the reason why he left the game was how drained he was mentally. And to your point, Darren, what resources do we have? Where are we sending folks to get the help that they need? Now, I want to I want to dive into the NBA's care because part of it I know and part of it I don't know. So the timeline is the NBA Players Association. People think the NBA and the NBA PA because they sound similar are the same thing. They're not. The Players Association is the union behind the players, right? And so the NBA PA, they hired a Dr. William Parham from UCLA before the NBA, the league ever mandated that every team has a mental health professional. It was a year before it. And so Dr. Parham was working with the Players Association on finding therapists, doctors, I can't tell you care facilities, but I at least do know therapists and doctors in each market that the players would feel comfortable going to based on Dr. Parham and his team vetting them out. Why was that done? I'm airing a little bit of dirty laundry here, but I'm going to say it because there's often not a lot of trust between the Players Association and the league. 
right? If you're a player who's making 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year, even 17 million dollars a year, which is crazy to think that's a low number nowadays. Um, your fear is if you give the information to the team of how you're struggling, that the team is going to use that against you, even though there's HIPAA violations and it's not supposed to be shared and all that stuff. So the PA had all these doctors and uh, care that a player could go to. Then the, a year later, the NBA announces we're requiring every single team to have a mental health professional at the teams. And so now as a player, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. And I know this from talking to current players. I know it from talking to former players who played over the last couple of years and have since retired. What do you do when you're looking off from your game? When your coach calls you out, when your GM calls you out and says, you're not playing up the standards, something must be going on. Do you give in and do you go to the team mental health professional? Or do you do what your agent's telling you to do? No, go to the Players Association resource because as long as you open up to them, guess what? That information is not going to be shared with the team. It's it's a, it, They're separate from the team. But if you do this, the latter of the two, the team doesn't know that you're necessarily going to get help. You could tell them that you are, but they don't see it happening in their facilities hello, what happened with Ben Simmons and all that back and forth of, is he going to therapy? Is he not going to therapy? You know, is he getting the right care? Is he not getting the right care? Now, we don't know between the three of us and even Theo with his relationship through the NHL, we don't know in fairness what the care options are outside of the, the doctors that they have at each team, the psychologists they have at each team, what the relationships are with different facility centers, that they might send someone to uh, a la what happened with John Morant. We don't know if that was, you know, our friend Chelsea who, who works with the Grizzlies making that recommendation. We don't know if it was the league making that recommendation. We don't know who they have contract work with all that stuff. What we do know for sure. And this is where Darren's expertise comes in. We know that Adam didn't recognize that piece of the puzzle when explaining to the media how things were being handled with job moving forward. And to your point, Darren, that should absolutely be a part of the equation. It should be a part of the equation in help of job. I know that there's privacy. Don't get me wrong. You don't need to say where he's going or who he's getting the help from, but you do need to say as someone who is a valued member of our league, his health is of utmost importance to us. And we understand that behavior ties into health and we want to make sure he gets the best health treatment he can get. And we're on an ongoing process working with him, making sure that the two weeks that he spent at a care facility is going to be ongoing in terms of tools that he's going to be receiving. And we're happy with the resources that he's gotten. And the problem is, I don't know if this is the reason why they don't get into it, but it's a cleaner message to the masses, to the fans, to the media when you say something like, what he did was wrong, I've talked to him about how it was wrong and how he needs to clean up his behavior and not address the other thing at all. Because if you address both, as a commissioner, your fear is you're giving credence to, well, there was a reason behind the way he acted, how he acted. And now you're fearful that the fans are going to go, you're giving him an out, you're giving him an excuse. Very much like the tweets that you send out, Darren, where you get hard time about it. And the answer is the answer lies somewhere in the middle. Both things can be true at the same time. Someone could have acted in a detrimental way towards himself, towards the team, towards the league. They could be responsible for it. They could have to pay a penalty for it. And those behaviors could be related to things that have gone on in their past where their health is not at its best place. And we want to make sure that that person gets the best health possible and the best care possible why can't we say both those things and the reason is right now it's not a clean message that most people understand and that can't be the default and that's why you put the tweet out that you did darren is you needed to set the record straight you needed to tell people that that is the case and that both things can be true and unfortunately we go backwards because of what it appears to be it was two days in therapy it was that the nba wasn't part of the wanting to be help him with therapy and so 
you know, we 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 fight, right? And and although you learned that, and we learned here, and anyone who's listening knows that it's been two and a half weeks in therapy, most of the public still thinks it was two days. And most of the public, the biggest thing they've seen is Adam Silver's statement, which doesn't recognize under a greater understanding of what needs to be done here. Yep. And that's, you know, as someone who consults with leagues, but then see some of the other organizations that work with leagues, I want to, I sometimes want to shake the league and say, how is this not part of the equation? How is this not something that you're communicating to help? One, it's going to make your fans better understand what's going on. But two, the humanitarian part of who you are as a league, what that's going to do to help people have a greater understanding of what therapy is. Applaud yourselves. Take the bow if you want that you found him or the team found him or he found himself the right treatment that is going to help him. Now, people are going to say, oh, Eric, you and Darren and Andrew, you're going to eat your words if Ja comes out and, you know, three weeks from now has another incidence with a gun. No, we're not. No one's saying that going to treatment for two weeks is the fix. I've been going to therapy since my crash happened, you know, five, six years ago when I was working with the Panthers. I'm not cured. I, I talk to Dr. Pleaner all the time about things that are going on with me. And we, we work towards health. We don't have this thing called healthy and you're good and you never have bad behaviors again and you never feel down again and you never feel off again that's not how health works but we want to know that someone is working towards that place and continuing to find tools to get better dr plinger you haven't spoken for a while so i just want to make sure i give you ample opportunity to chime in yeah well i i think that it's, it's sometimes also not how many times you're going to therapies it can be an ongoing process but you could be giving given tools in the now that you need to actually have the time to work on those tools before you start to engage in some of the next steps. It, it's same thing. I mean, we were using this gym analogy, but if you want to work on your physical health, you might work on modalities, but it takes several weeks before you start to see those results. If you're giving techniques to optimize the nervous system, you take those techniques, you learn from somebody you work on it on your own time, see how that starts to change the way you think, feel, function, and perform, and then you can go to engage in, in, in a different technique. I think some of the problem is, is that when you're looking at mental health, all these modalities that actually exist, it's a lot of people don't know about them. We learn about the traditional model, med management, talk therapy, people don't know how to really navigate the system between outpatient, PHP, IOP, and hospital facilities. There's no common language that's being developed. And, um, you know, part of the reason why I got into the integrative space, part of the reason why I started forming networks and relationships with integrative mental health practitioners is to be able to bring awareness to these types of tools and, and, and the options that are there. And when you're given the, the right track, it really doesn't matter the length of time. You can go into an integrative center and you can get more in two weeks than some people can get over months to years in a hospital, in a PHP, IOP type of setting. So um, that type of mental health approach, in my opinion, is something that we should be applauding. We don't necessarily know um, how much time was needed in this you know, particular case, but we certainly need to stop judging um, treatment based off of time, but rather than what was actually done, how it works, and then what is the roadmap from that point on. I also want to, I want, I appreciate that take because I want to also, as much as we're saying the NBA left a lot to be desired in terms of their communication, I think even though I'm, I'm with you, Darren, that Jaw spoke really quickly after the Adam Silver meeting with Jalen Rose, it was like immediately that 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 uh, interview was released. And you got to wonder, was that his team behind it? Was it what team as in like his personal team? Was it the Grizzlies behind it? The NBA want that to be the immediate message? We don't know. And obviously ESPN is a broadcast partner of the, of the NBA. So there's those possibilities. But here's the here's the, the thing I want to harp on. The fact that Ja brought up the tools and the skills and the drills that he learned and what he needs to work on is more revealing than most public figures ever when it comes to 
they had to leave tour as they were playing in a band or they had to take time off from the sport that they were playing or, you know, they're an actor, an actress, and they needed, you know, like a Jonah Hill and they needed time away from the media. You always get the, I took time away. You rarely ever get the, this is what I worked on. And I want to applaud Ja for his openness. Maybe someone on his team really prepared him for that, but who cares? What, 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 what we will learn as a society is what Dr. Pleener is the reason why he left traditional psychiatry for integrative psychiatry, because he knew there was a better way to actually work on this brain body connection. The more we have public figures talking about things like breathing practice, yoga, meditation, Reiki, something we call star exercises, that gym for the brain, the more that normalizes those things. Because what we've been peppered with as a society and why there's this misunderstanding is med management and talk therapy, med management and talk therapy. And those are the things that get covered when you go to a hospital visit, when you go to a care facility. And Dr. Pleener and I seek out care facilities for people all the time because since I've been out there with my story, so many people reach out and say, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. My kids at the end, I don't know where to send them. And then we need to find places. And it's very hard. There's not a lot of places out there that give this type of care because the way the insurance is set up is put the person inpatient for four to eight days, make sure they're not suicidal anymore, adjust their meds, and then boot them out the door. And I'm being a little crass and saying it that way, but that's essentially how it happens. You're, 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 you're being babysat for a couple of days as they mess around with your medications. That's not real therapy. In my opinion, it sounds like it's not real therapy in Dr. Pleaner's opinion, Darren, when you describe your therapy, it's not the 10,000 hours that you've learned. The 10,000 hours that you've learned or more has been getting skills from the therapist that you've been to, to take home and be able to work with, or even just in the office setting, be able to work with. That's what therapy is. And what I would challenge people is, I'll end on this story. I had a, a friend and she was telling me that she's been seeing the psychologist for two years now and she was having trouble falling asleep. And the psychologist's answer was, well, I need to send you to a psychiatrist. So she calls me and she asks, you know, do you, do you know any psych- psychiatrists? Is, this is the recommendation I'm getting from my psychologist. And I said, well, let me ask you a question what do you do when you go for your appointments once a week with your psychologist? Like what skills is he teaching you each day to work on your stuff? And she's like, well, we, we talk about what's going on in my life. And I'm like, so there's nothing to take home with. There's nothing to practice. There's like your therapist. And by the way, this happens in 90% of therapy appointments around the world. So if it sounds familiar, probably there's a reason for that is you sit on a couch, the person talks to you, you open up the wounds, and then you're not given skills in terms of how to deal with it. And maybe you're taught a CBT skill, maybe you're taught a DBT skill, and that's it. Yet there's all these other skills out there, and they're not being taught. And then when things aren't working, it's easy for the therapist to go, well, your issues go beyond me, go to the psychiatrist and get the med because you're not sleeping. As opposed to here's how we're going to change your practices to help you get into a better sleep routine. Here's how we're going to make sure when you wake up that you're seeing sunlight. Here's how you make sure when you go to bed at night that you're taking the blue light away and out of your eyes. These are all things therapists should know. I, I add that as a PSA at the end that if you are one of the brave folks, and it's called brave right now because we only have 10 to 15% of our society that goes to therapy, that is going to therapy, and your therapist is doing nothing but talk therapy, you got to question whether you're going to the right therapist. It might feel good for that hour that you're there and you feel like you're you're just letting everything out from the week. But what are you doing the other six days afterwards before you see them again? If you don't, you're not being given skills, you're not being given the breathing and the yoga and the meditation and the mindfulness and the tapping and the havening and all the things that go along with that, you're missing the boat and there's a way you can feel better. And we're going to keep pushing that because we think it's important. So awesome episode, you know, two weeks in a row of uh, athletes who've been embroiled in controversy, but uh, a lot that we can learn from and trying to, I don't want to say defend the athlete, but give the perspective of what they're going through, what they went through in the past, what the upbringing maybe was like, so that we're not judging the behaviors, Calvin Ridley with the gambling in his case, 
Ja Morant with the, the gun. And neither of them said they were in the right. They both said they were in the wrong. They're both taking responsibility. They both were penalized for it. All we're trying to show is the other piece of it is how does the behavior happen? How do we step away from just judging the behavior alone and also help that person get help? So another episode of We're All a Little Crazy brought to you by the hashtag Same Here Global Mental Health Movement. Thank you, Dr. Pleener, for joining us. We will have Theo back on the show next week and we will see you then. Thanks so much.